All right. Um, so I wanted to, the, our study today is divided into, into thirds. And if you can see the um, subtitle to this series, this is not only going to be true with Philippians, with Colossians, and then with Philemon, is I might be doing the study a little bit different than a typical study just because of the way that I wanted to engineer it. Uh, and if you like it, great. If you don't like it, you can let me know in 13 weeks. Um, but don't let me know between now and then. No, I'm kidding. You can if you want. But I subtitled it Textual and Applicable Observations. So this is going to be a mix of looking at the text. Today we're just looking at 11 verses. Next week we look at around 15 to 20 verses. So uh, the verses are not very long. We want your feedback. Lee is available with microphone at any point so you can uh, make comments. But I also want to give some applicable observations, some applications to every study that we're going to have. So uh, 13 times 3, there's going to be roughly 39 different uh, applications that we're going to try to make So uh, through the course of this study. I want to start with the background to Philippians. Um, I shouldn't have asked you to open to Acts chapter 16. Let's pretend I didn't ask you to open to Acts chapter 16. And I asked you a question. Where in the book of Acts do we see the origin for the church at Philippi? Okay, so uh, this is a church that is very rooted in Paul's work. Um, Again, David Creech did a really good job uh, where... Basically, chapter 15, verse 36 is the intro to chapter 16, uh, the division over uh, John Mark. Acts chapter 16 has a a number of different things that transpire, but there are two that really uh, uh, appeal to me. One is there is a woman who becomes one of presumably the first members of the church at Philippi. And what is her name? What's her name? Lydia, and we know about her from verses 11 through about verse 16. Uh, she was a seller of purple. We read, there's a lot of lessons just in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. That's a good sermon outlined there where it talks about this woman. Uh, it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And indeed, she and her household were baptized uh, after hearing the gospel being preached. Then, in the next uh, 20 or so verses, uh, what is the subject? And you can just copy from your outline if you have an outlining Bible. But what happens in the next 20 to 30 verses? Say again? Absolutely. So we find a jailer at Philippi. And who was in prison? Paul and his friend or co-worker Silas. Uh, who uh, plays a major role in some of the letters that are written uh, to individuals or to individuals and churches in the New Testament. And so we find where the jail experience occurs. And of course, they were singing and praying at midnight. And rather than bemoaning the fact that they were in prison over trumped up charges or, or the very least charges that didn't make sense for them to be in prison for, And they set a good example. And, of course, the jailer was ready to take his own life, chose not to do so after the imploring of both Paul and Silas. So so when Paul is writing to the church at Philippi some years later, and we don't know exactly how many years later, but it was more than just a couple, it seems, 
these individuals and or their families and or their remembrances would have been kind of stuck in their mind. So if we turn over to Philippians in just a second, as he addresses the saints who are there, we see that he is certainly addressing those kinds of individuals. Um, the other passage that, and Jason did a really good job of kind of outlining this for us. And so the outline that you see when you look at that, you say, well, that's beautiful. Um, and you come to me and say, thank you so much. You can say thank you to Jason. He did a good job of kind of uh, separating out what week we were going to do what. But he referenced Acts chapter 28 as well, which I thought was interesting because if you read Acts chapter 28, which is the last chapter of the book of Acts and the last two or three verses, that's where you find verse 31 where it says that Paul who dwelt, verse 30, dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So that very last phrase in verses 30 and 31 would have included, presumably, teaching the church at Philippi, teaching the church at Colossae, and writing to Philemon, among others. Um, When we get into the text here in just a moment, we're going to find that a major theme in Philippians uh, is one of rejoicing and joy. And the church at Philippi gave Paul a lot to feel good about. Sometimes we say that Philippians, and I've heard it said before, is the most positive of the epistles. Because we know when he writes to Corinth, as we just studied, there's a lot of things that they needed correction about. It's not that the church at Philippi was perfect. And if you kind of peel back some verses later in chapters 3, and particularly in chapter 4, we're going to get into uh, a discussion briefly over the fact that not everything was rosy at Philippi. They had their issues as well. They had their room for growth like others. And we're going to talk about that in, Lord willing, about a month from now. Anything by way of introduction before we get into the text itself that you wanted to say before we really get going here? All right. Let's go ahead and read the first 11 verses uh, together and then come back and make uh, a handful of observations about the text. And then depending on the kind of time we've got left, we'll, we'll try to make some applications as I promised. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. 
that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So beautiful words, well outlined, well said. Um, Let's look at the text and kind of go two verses by two verses or verse by verse. Paul starts by addressing the church along with the elders and the deacons who are there. This is incidentally one of the key places that we go to where we see uh, Paul addressing elders and Paul addressing deacons in a particular location. And this is one of those go-to passages when we are trying to refute the notion that elders would oversee multiple churches. We know that based on Acts chapter 20, he's talking to the elders at Ephesus, or the elders from Ephesus, maybe more appropriately said. And that here to the church at Philippi, there are elders and deacons. That is the design that God had in store for the local church, is to have pastors and to have servants serving as deacons. Um, Grace and peace is a very traditional introduction for a salutation from Paul. Grace and peace. Furthermore, um, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's the NIV's version, where in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I like the NIV. I thank my God every time I remember you. This is a very personal letter where Paul is writing to a group of people who have encouraged him. Um, Let me open this up just, uh, and there's no real wrong answer, but in what ways has Paul been encouraged by the Philippians? That, That he would say this kind of thing. By their support, absolutely. We're going to see a hint of that support. And then David did a really good job uh, last Sunday evening of using Philippians 4 verses 10 through 18 to outline not only authority for providing for those who preach the gospel. Indeed, those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Another quote from Paul. Uh, But... He says, no other church shared with me in fellowship except for you, right? At various times uh, in the course of his work. Absolutely. So, and, and I, going back to, I'm really glad, and David said he was going to step on my lesson, and he did. Uh, and that's okay. But uh, he talked about that there's more than just the financial side of things. There's the fellowship that comes There's the encouragement that comes. There's the notes that maybe the Philippians were writing to Paul, whatever the case may be. But he says, I am very thankful for you. So pretend that you're the church at Philippi and you get this letter from Paul and you're anxious to hear it read in your assembly. And one of the first things he says is he says, every time I think about you, I am thankful for you. What an attitude on the part of Paul and what a representation on the part of the Philippians in that they were that uh, supportive of Paul. And then he no- notice where he says, in every prayer of mine, always in every prayer of mine. If you would, note how important prayer was in Paul's life. And Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate who? Christ. Because we know that this is the way that 
Christ conducted himself, that prayer was so important to him. Prayer, um, I was just thinking about this a few weeks ago and I came across a statement where someone asked someone else, how is your prayer life? And he responded, well, I never really thought about it that way because I never thought about life without prayer. So it's not so much me thinking about my prayer life. My life is prayer. And that's something that we can probably all improve on in terms of being more prayerful to make it just automatic as to who we are, what we are, and what we are about. All right. Then he goes on and he says in verse 5, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Fellowship in the gospel. And again, go back to David's sermon just uh, a week or so ago where he talked about that fellowship is a word that is misused in many circles and many religious circles today. Uh, I would say that a good two-thirds of the time that someone in the world uses the word fellowship, they're talking about eating. At least that's been my experience. People say, well, well come, come have fellowship with me by eating. Well, it's not that we don't have fellowship when we eat and when we drink because that is a fellowship meal in the sense that we are coming together to commune, which is a similar word that is, is uh, associated with the concept of fellowship. But you can have fellowship doing all these different things according to the world where it's very limited in its definition with, in terms of modern uh, words today. If you're uh, using the NIV, and I think even maybe the ESV, I'm not sure, it might use the word partnership here. And I like that idea. We are partners with one another. We are partners with those men with whom we support in New York and Illinois and elsewhere. And Paul says, you are partners with me. You are my partner in this work. And as, as Brother John pointed out just a few moments ago, one of the ways that they showed their partnership or their fellowship was with their financial contributions to the work that he was doing. Um, God, he says in verse uh, 5 and 6, being confident is the very thing, he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God would complete or perfect the work that began in the saints in Philippi. Notice, uh, this is what jumped out to me just uh, a few days ago as I was reading through this. Note, if you would, Paul's humility and his focus on the Lord. He says, God is going to complete you. You know, Paul could have said at this point, very late in his life, I will complete you. I will make you all better. I will make you full in everything you need by my teachings. But that's not the way that Paul conducted himself. He's not... Uh, He's not egotistical. He's very humble. Uh, he says it's all about what the Lord has done and what the Lord will do. And then he says that the Philippian saints, uh, the Philippian saints were partakers of grace. What does that mean to you? Uh, and if you uh, want to sh share some, we'll bring a microphone to you. But I thought that was an interesting phrase there in verse 7, you all are partakers with me of, of grace. And the, the application side of it is, how can we do the same today? That's what I'm asking. What does that mean to be partakers of grace? 
Let's, yeah, Brother John, uh, Lee, Brother John has something? Of course, grace is unmerited favor, so every Christian is a partaker of the grace of God. Uh, this might have also included uh, their ability and, and uh, frame of mind to help in spreading the gospel as well. I was thinking about what you were saying earlier about uh, him uh, remembering them fondly every time he thinks of them and the joy they brought to him. In Second uh, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 8, you know, he's talking about taking up the collection for the needy saints in Judea. And he talked about the churches of Macedonia, and that would include Philippi. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, out of their a great ordeal of affliction and their abundance of joy and their, and their deep poverty uh, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So when the brethren at Philippi helped Paul, it wasn't out of their abundance. It was out of deep poverty. So it tells you something about their commitment and so you can understand why Paul would have a lot of joy uh, from that church absolutely so John brings up a really good point here in that not only is Paul rejoicing because he's benefited and remember it's not so much that he's concerned about the gift as the result of the gift as he would later write but because of the help that these brethren had given to others as well uh, Brother Jason over here, Lee. And then um, while we're coming to Jason here, the last thing here is I love the ESV where it says that Paul yearned for the brethren. We should yearn for our brethren as well. Yeah, Brother Jason. Just back to your point or question around partakers of grace. I think back to some of the comments you made around verse 5 and 6 as far as participating in the gospel from the first and also in the verse 6. Um, began a good work in you and perfected it until the day Christ came. And so that whole engagement around spiritual things and around focusing on Christ and, and the good news. Absolutely. I like, I like the concept of, of focusing. Very good. Yeah, Brother Roger. When studying this, it, uh, it really impresses me that he considers himself a brother to these people. Just mm-hmm. like one of us would talk to each other and here we've known for years. And that's the style of his writing here. He just truly loves these people. Absolutely. Yeah. He, and again, he could have taken on a superior tone. And we know that from time to time he does do that as a parent figure. Second Corinthians as one of those examples. But it goes to show that this, this church at Philippi, he has a special relationship with it. And... Uh, I'm, I'm glad, I don't know who assigned me to teach this, but I'm glad they did. Because as I've said in sermons before, uh, Philippians is probably, not, well, okay, it's not probably, it's my favorite book to study and my favorite book to teach from and preach from. Uh, a few years ago, I did a series of sermons on Philippians. And I started off saying, oh, I'll do, you know, maybe four, five, six sermons. And I ended up doing 16 sermons. The, whole, the poor congregation had to listen for 16 weeks. No, but they, they were very gracious to me as well. Uh, Okay, Paul yearned for his brethren. All right, lastly on the text, note if you would Paul's specific prayer uh, as he's ending this section um, where he says, let me see my notes here. Okay, Uh, what I'm looking at particularly here 
uh, in verse 9. He says, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. That makes sense. Your love may abound more and more. And then he says, in knowledge. And he says, in discernment. Your love may abound more and more. That doesn't mean that they weren't already loving, but we can all grow and do better. I thought that was interesting. So he says, I want your love to abound. So sometimes when someone says to you, I want you to do X, well, you may think, well, am I not, I'm already doing X. And Paul's saying, yes, but I want you to do more with it. And that's what's happening here in knowledge. So that tells us that study is important. And then he says in discernment. What does the word discernment mean to you? And uh, if it's just a single word, just shout it out. Wisdom. Wisdom. I like the word wisdom there. Judgment. Judgment. Yeah, there has to be some judgment sometimes with certain things. Uh, I came across uh, the NIV, which I thought was interesting. Uh, with These days, so I'm going to digress for a second. So I remember... Probably 20 years ago, I was listening to an older preacher uh, teach, and he, he said that he used to have, before technology, he had this gigantic uh, board that was about this long and about this wide, and it had a swivel on it, and he would lay out all of his books on it, and he could swivel it around in his office and be able to look at his book. These days, we just do it all with clicks, right? And so... Uh, it's just interesting how I can look at all these different things on one screen and they're all just there. And it's just wonderful how it works. So, so we're thankful for technology. But I, I just, I, we were, the younger ones, I was young at the time. Uh, the younger ones, we were looking at him like, well, that's amazing that you used to have that kind of thing. We just do it all with, with us. Uh, depth of insight, wisdom, discernment, judgment, depth of insight. He says, that's what I want you to do. And then he says, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Approve the things that are excellent. I couldn't help but think about Romans chapter 12, verse 9, part B. Uh, Romans 12 is, is, is a, a chapter that is really kind of uh, all about behaving as a Christian. And he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Incidentally, I ignored the first part of verse 9. Until I came to the second part, uh, to the other part of uh, Paul's prayer where he says, I want you to, at least in the New King James Version, he says, I want you to be sincere and be without offense. Be sincere. What does it mean to be sincere? What's, what's sincerity? Genuine. Genuine. Yeah, I like, I like that word. It's the opposite of hypocritical. Which is why Romans 12, 9a, let love be without hypocrisy. Or depending on the version you're reading from. That's the New King James and the King James Version as well, I think. And then he says, be filled with fruits of righteousness. Be filled with fruits of righteousness. Uh, thought that was kind of interesting. You think about the fruits of the Spirit as Paul outlines them in Galatians chapter 5. Be filled with those fruits. So he's talking to a church that has done a lot of good things and that is doing a lot of good things. 
But he still continues to say, I want you to continue improving, growing, praying, being involved in Grace Lead, Brother John. Uh, and I want you to continue to be focusing on all those things for opportunities for growth. I thought that was kind of interesting and, and just so valuable. Brother John. Thinking back about the discernment, that's an important thing. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer is upbraiding those Christians because they hadn't developed that mm-hmm. ability yet. They were still babes in Christ. Uh, 5 and verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You read in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 about uh, God gave the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and you, and you start reading what was the purpose of those. One of the things was so you mm-hmm. mature and not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So this discernment is something we all really ought to work on and, Absolutely. and grow and mature in that. Excellent, excellent passage, passages. But I really like Hebrews five thirteen and following. All right, anything else on the text that jumps out to you that I've missed? Just because I didn't highlight something doesn't mean it's unimportant. And uh, those are just some of the big highlights in our first two-thirds of of our time together. We've got about 15 minutes left to wrap up here. All right, as promised, uh, I like applications. Uh, I like applications because they're good for uh, hopefully you, but they're good for me to kind of figure out what is this stuff meaning to us today. And so I came up with three applications. We're going to fly through these very quickly uh, because we, the, I could spend 30 or 40 minutes just on, on this. But number one is this concept of we need to truly be thankful for each other. And we need to have that mindset of Paul where he says, when I think about you, I am thankful for you. I remember you in my prayers on a daily basis. Paul clearly appreciated his brethren, thanked them for their work. We should do so as well. And the other thing, we haven't really talked too much about this because, you know, it's good Bible students. We know where he's writing from, but he's writing from prison, granted with certain freedoms that have been awarded to him, Acts chapter 28, verses 28 through 31. But Paul's first thoughts were of his brethren. He was always thanking God in prayer for them. If I write a letter to you from prison, I'm not sure that the first words out of my mouth are going to be grace and peace be multiplied to you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But I might be more selfish. I might be more focused on woe is me. Look at how, especially if I'm there because I haven't... uh, I've not done anything wrong, at least nothing deserving of this. Um, so I might not be as gracious as Paul would be in the introduction to his letters. Let me suggest that another kind of minor application, but a major one, is that prayer can't always be a means for asking. Um, and simply by that, we cannot just use as someone recently said, I forget who it was, but prayer is not like a a box where you put a a token into the box and then you get out what you want. I need more tokens to ask God for more stuff, you know? Well, nothing wrong with asking God for things when we are in need. Hebrews talks about that, for example. When we are in need, we go to God in prayer. 
but we need to make sure that we're doing the other things that are important in prayer as well, being thankful for each other. Paul doesn't simply generalize the church in his prayers of thankfulness. He prays for you all and does so with joy. So the application is, is kind of twofold. And this is something that I, um, I'm very strong in believing. And sometimes I practice it very well. Sometimes I don't practice it as well as I should. Number one, giving thanks for brethren specifically in our prayers is right. So being thankful for this brother, this sister, this family, this teacher, this elder, this deacon, this whatever the case may be. That is a very right thing to do. But I guess what I'm thinking, what should we do after we have prayed? What, what, what could we do that might make that even more encouraging after we've prayed for that person? What does Paul do often? He tells the person. He says, I want you to know I prayed for you. So telling brethren of our prayers of thankfulness for them is a very right thing to do as well. Now, I've said this a couple of times in sermons. I I think the real reason that we are reluctant to do that, in my opinion, is because we're afraid it will come across as a a form of self-righteousness. Hey, I wanted you to know I prayed for you. And then the person will say, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That makes me feel good, you know. Uh, Paul didn't say, I prayed for you, so that they say, thank you, Paul. And and that's going to be the common response. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. But that's the pattern that Paul provides for us in the New Testament, is he prays for these people, and then he says, I want you to know I prayed for you. So I, I think that's something that we can do a better job of doing. I'm not saying we're doing a poor job of it, but we can maybe improve on that in, in some ways. Um, and then the other part is that of all the things we can focus on, thanking God and each other is a great place to start, kind of an application. All right, so number one, be thankful for each other. Number two is to be, and it goes along with this line, is to be encouraging to each other. That's the second kind of big application. I look at the first 11 verses of Philippians as being almost like a pep talk. You're doing a great job. But I want you to continue doing a good job. And I want you to find ways to improve. To, when you think you're doing well, do even weller. I want you to do even good and gooder, right? Uh, that's what he's saying here. He says, you, your work is a good work. It's a work that God started and it's a work that will be completed. Notice the confidence that Paul writes with here. He says, you... Something good has started in you, and something good is going to be completed or perfected in you. And I'm just, put yourself in the position of the average Philippian, and you're thinking, wow, are you telling me I'm doing a good job? That makes me want to do even better in the future. This is a, one of the reasons I love the book of Philippians is because it is so focused on Paul saying, you're doing a good job. Now, let's find ways to do even better. And it's just a very positive, optimistic book. Um, I didn't reference this in verse 7, but I wanted to come back where he says, it is right for me to think this of you. Uh, Anybody have the King James Version? He doesn't say it is right. He says it is 
this will figure out who's reading from the King James Version today. He says, it is meat to think on these things. I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought, what does that word really mean? It is meat to think on these things. It is just, it is right, or it is reasonable is what the Greek word is translated into meaning. It is reasonable, right, or just. So what's reasonable, right, or just that inasmuch as my chains in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace, going back to the comments that John made about commitment a few moments ago. That tells me that Paul really believes what he is saying, really believes what he's preaching. He's not just writing things. Paul does not waste time. He really goes and he gets to the heart of the matter of the things that he wants communicated to these early, uh, early Christians, these early churches. And then the third application, um, I guess I, I said three, there's really three and a half but is to be prayerful for each other. So we talked about being thankful, be encouraging, but be prayerful. Love should grow in discernment, as we read just a moment or so ago. We'll we'll come back to that. But Paul here tells these Christians that he's been praying for them, that their love may abound. Um, That their love may abound. I thought that was an interesting phrase as well. That tells me, that sometimes love isn't necessarily automatic or natural. Uh, And this, I will never forget hearing about uh, a group of elders. This is in a different state, and this would have been, no, this would have been 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, that a lady came to them and said, I've got a need. And they said, okay, we're happy to try to help you. And she said, I have trouble loving my children. And they were initially kind of, you know, dumbfounded by, you know, because that seems so natural that you would just love your children and provide for your children. But she struggled with that for some reason uh, and showing them the affection that they needed. And so they, along with their wives, worked with her and studied with her and prayed with her. And she got better about that kind of thing. And I've always, it's, it's always stuck with me because sometimes love isn't automatic. Sometimes we have to work at loving. Some people are very lovable. And then sometimes people are not quite so lovable, right, in the world. Uh, hopefully that's not the case with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But sometimes we may have to really work at loving a brother or a sister who may be has offended us in the past and we're really struggling to forgive or whatever the case may be. Um, so I, I like the idea that love isn't necessarily natural. And you could look at those two passages there where it says that the older women, uh, teach love to the younger women there in the book of Titus. Love should grow in knowledge, uh, knowledge of God, knowledge of his love, knowledge of his word, and then, um, knowledge of each other. That we need to know about each other. And uh, this came up in a study uh, maybe a month or so ago, or a sermon. I think we talked about it. But it's really hard to withdraw from someone or to mark someone or to discourage someone from doing wrong when you don't know about them in the first place and have a relationship with them in the first place. 
So having this recognition, literally is what that means, of one another is, is certainly very, very important. All right, we've got just about four or five minutes here left. Uh, let me just uh, run through here uh, a couple of other things. Love should grow in discernment. We talked about perception or judgment or wisdom or insight. Love should uh, mature, going back to the point that our brother John made a few moments ago. And we should desire that our growing love allows us to make better choices going forward in the future. Uh, reminded me of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, that, so that they will know the differences between right and wrong. Paul says, I want you to know the difference between right and wrong. Not that you're messing up a lot right now, but there are areas for improvement. And so to approve or to test for impurities reminds me a little bit of James' writing. and reminds me of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. And then the last thing here is on the subject of sincerity, where he says, be sincere, or that you may be sincere and without offense. Sincerity, I would argue, has little to do with good intention. To be judged by the sun's light is literally where that phrase comes from uh, in the original language. Paul prayed that they may not be offensive, depending on the version that you're reading from. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Literally not led into sin. And that means that we've got to govern ourselves appropriately to make sure that we are living correctly. And then the last thing here is that they may be filled with righteous fruit. What did Jesus say about repentance in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8? Remember what he said there? I'll turn over there just in case we don't remember. Bear fruits... Worthy of repentance, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. And of course, Paul says, you're not going to bear those fruits and be faithful to me. I'm sorry, be faithful to God because of what I do. The very last phrase is he says, by Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we get to the beginning of a paragraph or the end of a paragraph, we kind of maybe forget what is being said or don't give it as much attention as we should. But I think those last three words, by Christ Jesus or by Jesus Christ, are really uh, what is important. We've got uh, 60 seconds left. Any final comments? I know I kind of went through those applications kind of quickly, but I wanted to make sure that we at least have something to take away and to walk away with today. All right. Appreciate the good uh, attention that you've all had uh, and provided. Thank you for your comments. Next week... Our plan is to get through the rest of chapter 1. And so if you want to read through that and prepare for that, we appreciate it.